Welcome to Victory GP. We're excited you've joined us, and we hope you're impacted and inspired by today's message. As we go through Palm Sunday, there's these, these parts of it. It's the beginning of the end and the end of the beginning. So the beginning of the end in the sense of it's the end of Jesus's life on the earth, but it's the beginning of something brand new that's about to happen. And this, the thing that's beginning is what we get to be part of, but it's the end of this other season that he was in. And so I always think, you know, if, um, you know, when you look through it and, and as you will this week, um, read through your gospels, read through that kind of crucifixion week, but there's, there's so much emotion in it. For people who think that Christianity isn't emotional, like grow up. Because it totally was Jesus wept, Jesus celebrated, Jesus ate, they danced, they, they did all this stuff. And, and he suffered. Like it was like this emotional roller coaster of all times, right? Because Jesus is coming into the city. He's weeping over Jerusalem. People are shouting and they're singing. And he's like, he's asked the, his guys to go and get them the donkey. And, and so there's like this prophetic fulfillment that's happening. And then he, he tells the disciples, I've been waiting to celebrate this meal with you. And they have the Passover. And then he's arrested and he's weeping. Like, it's just this, woo. So um, there's a lot in it that we can miss if we just look at the highlights but it is meant to impact us on every level. And so we kind of want to look at the history, but we also want to see what happened, what was God's intention underneath it all. Because Jesus didn't just go through this week because it was time. Every day he spent he, you know, time with the Father, and he only did what he saw the Father do. He only spoke what he heard the Father say. This was an orchestrated, perfected thing that affects me now. It affects you now. So we want to like kind of look back and see some of the key points, the history of it. And then we're going to look at how this affects me. We want to look at firstly the triumphal entry. So this is this thing that's going to demand a response from us. If we look at this as a historical fact, which it is, we're confronted with the need to respond. We can't just go, well, that's nice. It actually matters that this happened. And so if you pull open your Bibles, Matthew 21, and it's in um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke actually is the, the passage. But in Matthew's version, we see kind of the flow in such a simple, easy way for us to track through it in a way that will demand a response. It's launched by Jesus. It's Jesus is initiating the things that need to happen. He was um, prior to this fairly mysterious about who he was, in a sense. Uh, the people that were closest to him got to hear the up-close explanations. But in general, Jesus didn't walk around going, I'm, you know, I'm the king of the Jews. I'm the Messiah. You know, he didn't just announce stuff until this day. And he never verbally said it, but he acted it out so precisely that it was a public declaration. I am who you've been waiting for. And all of Jewish history up until this point, they had been waiting for a Messiah. They had been waiting for someone sent by God who would come in and rescue them. They were waiting for a king from heaven to be their hero. And Jesus comes in and he does the stuff that lets them know they're in the right place. This is the time. He's the one. So if we look at this, we're looking at essentially a divine declaration from God and it says in verse 1, Now they, when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, 
saying to them, go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. That's impressive. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. And let's just leave that verse up there. Tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, the, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Every king prior to this was on the big horse, the big show, the big parade, the big presentation, the big king. You know, that it, everything was about, look how strong I am, look how big I am, look how powerful I am. God was telling them prophetically, you're waiting for somebody who doesn't look like anything you've seen before. That should have been a hint. But interestingly enough, people were kind of, they, they, they knew the verse, they knew the prophetic word, our king is coming to us and it's gonna look a little different, but we expect him to be the same. We, we, he's going to look a little different, but we expect him to be a war king. We expect him to be a ruling, reigning kind of king. Weird disconnect in, in their heads. So this is actually from uh, Zechariah 9.9, 9, which the full uh, breakdown of that is, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. This was given to them 500 plus years prior to this ride that Jesus took. For 500 years, people waited for this day. Have you ever noticed when God tells you stuff, he gives you a word, he gives you a scripture to hang on to, and you're like, it's been two months, I don't think it's happening. You know, I was, I was standing in faith, but sometimes you just get weary of doing that. How about 500 plus years? You're like my grandpa's 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 grandpa, 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 grandpa um, heard something about this. And so we're still hanging. I mean, seriously? So the nation had this prophetic word. They knew something was going to happen. They knew God hadn't forgotten them, but they'd been hanging on to it. How many of you know when we have a season of waiting, sometimes we humanize it, right? So we add our packaging on it. We add our expectations. We add, a, if I was God, I would do this to it. And, and some of the stuff that we have learned to say is God or we learn to think is God is actually the human packaging on what God said in the first place. And a lot of the times, we've been talking a lot about this recently, a lot of the reasons why we get hurt in religion or we get hurt in church is because it's the human side of it. It's, and people are like, if that's God, I don't want any part of it. Well, if that's God, I don't want any part of it either, <laughs> you know? But we add people stuff to what it is God said and does. What, what God has laid out for us, sometimes we humanize it and we package it in such a way that it's hardly even recognizable as him anymore. And so in this case, there was this prophetic word that had come out and over the hundreds of years, the expectations had kind of drifted and yet they did expect something. So picking up in verse six of that same passage, it says, so the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. And they brought the donkey and the colt and they laid their clothes on him and they set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from trees and spread them out on the road. 
Then the multitudes who went before those who followed cried out saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. This mass, I mean, I, I feel for the disciples because if you get told, you know, let's just say, not that I'm the Messiah, but let's just say Pastor Charlotte says, you know, if you go to 62nd Avenue, there's going to be a car sitting in a driveway. And if you just go tell the person that the pastor needs it and ask for the keys, they're going to give it to you. And you just bring it on over here and we're going to, we're going to ride in that new car. Anybody volunteering for that assignment? You know, but here's these guys and they're like, okay, we're going to go take the guy's stuff. And sure enough, though, it totally happens, just like Jesus says. And this shift begins to happen that is very notable. It's, it, there's this, this sound that rises up where people start declaring this prophetic word. They start acknowledging Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. They're actually quoting scripture. They're specifically quoting Isaiah 62, 11. Indeed, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the world. Say to the daughter of Zion, surely your salvation is coming. Behold, his reward is with him. His work is before him. There's also a verse in Psalms that they're quoting. They're quoting and they're saying Hosanna, which means Lord save Lord save. They are acknowledging, we believe you're God. You're the one who has been sent to save us. And um, it's interesting because just prior to this, Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. So they've seen this breakthrough of, of the, the bondage of death that nobody's been able to transcend before. They've seen the miracles. They've seen the stuff. And there's this move of the Holy Spirit that says, this is real. This is time. There's something that is rising up in people. Not all people, but some people. And what's really interesting about the story, if you go in and study, and especially if this is one of your first years hearing the Easter story, it's very interesting because this day, there's this crowd that's cheering and shouting, and this is God. This is, this is what we've been waiting for. This is who we've been waiting for. This is the answer. And then just days later, they're shouting, crucify him. So it's a bit of an emotional kind of thing, but there's something that's being stirred up. The reason I mention that is because sometimes when we're new to God and we're new to just searching out the things of God, we can, in the moment, we can be in a church service like this and it's, you know, the music is going and the whatever, you know, the atmosphere is great and we're like, this is God, I'm totally committed. And then we can get off by ourselves and there's a thief who comes and he wants to steal the word. He wants to steal what has happened. And we need to be aware that there is always going to be bait to shift and go, no, that's fake. There's going to be bait to shift and go from Hosanna to crucify him. And we need to make sure that we are established in what it is God has revealed to our hearts. And so this is why we're going to lay out scripture today is because that word takes root in our hearts. And we want that rooted word to transform how we're going to interact moving forward from here. So they start shouting, Jesus doesn't stop them. I find this very interesting. Have you noticed when you read through the gospels, Jesus will heal people and he'll say, don't tell anybody. Or, you know, he, like he never, he never like announces anything. They start shouting this. They start shouting and cheering him on. Hosanna, the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And he just like drinks it in. He knows what's coming. But in this moment, he stays present and he lets them 
declare. He lets them cry out because he actually says, if they're not gonna, something's gonna. The rocks are gonna, there's some, it, it is necessary that it is proclaimed who I am. For us as, as believers even, I believe it is necessary for us to proclaim who he is. Some people really struggle with, you know, do, do we need to be so verbal about it? You know, because we love to use the, you know, quote the thing about, you know, evangelize and if necessary, use words. True, as far as living out our life. But when it comes to interacting with God, we should praise. We should worship. We should pray. We should declare. We should put out there who he is to us. We should honor him in that way. Can you imagine if you're married, you've been married for 10 years, and people never know that you're married because you don't wear a ring, you never talk about your spouse, you're just always on your own, and you just talk about your own life all the time. What does that set you up for? An affair? A trap? All kinds of secondary loves that want your affection because they don't know that you belong to somebody else. In the same way, Jesus has set us up there. This is a perfect example. And as we talk through this morning, this is what it looks like. When we talk about Jesus, we're acknowledging and declaring over our lives, I'm out of bounds. You know what, devil? Back off. I'm out of bounds. My affection is for somebody else. My worship is for somebody else. My love belongs to somebody else. I am not available. I'm not on the market for your bait right now. And so in this moment, Jesus was moving into his thing. I, yeah, there you go. I believe that Jesus needed this to be declared over his life. Do you know when, when the enemy came and he tempted Jesus in the wilderness... And he tempted him to come and, and worship him and he would give him all the kingdoms of the earth. The, that is played out in the garden when Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane and he is agonizing over what he's about to go into. I believe it needed to be declared over him. This is your destiny. This is who you are. This is whose you are. Because he was fully God, but he was also fully man. That sound reminded him, this is who I am. This is my purpose. This is why I'm here. I am the one sent by God. I am the one that's here to, to bring about a change. I am the one on a mission. And that declaration was going over his life. It was shutting up the accusation of the enemy that was no doubt there. We have to choose which sound we're buying into. And so this happens and they're, they're making this declaration and it's coming from this place. It says that they were cutting down palm branches and putting their garments strewn on the ground. This was a king's welcome. Anytime a king entered into the area, this is what they did. It's like make the big fanfare, do the stuff, wave the palm branches. It's a sign of prosperity. It's a sign of honor. It's a sign of celebration. It's honoring a king. So it wasn't actually that super weird. But they started to sing out, Hosanna. That's the part that was different. Lord, save us. Lord, save. You're the one. They're acknowledging something that's happening here. They were looking for freedom, but they weren't aware that the freedom they needed was internal. So they're looking to him. He's the one. He's the one. He's the one. Something doesn't quite connect that like he's the one for me. We want him to come into Jerusalem. We want him to upset the balance of power. We want him to set things right. We want him to liberate people. We want him to remove slavery. We want him to do the physical stuff. But 
that's not really what it was about. It was an internal thing. What God was calling, or what God was doing was an internal thing. The people were gathered to celebrate the deliverance of the Lord, and yet they missed it. Matthew 21, picking up at verse 10 then. It says, and when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, who is this? All the city was moved, and to, was moved means to rock, to vibrate, to tremor, to quake, to shake. The whole city was buzzing. It's a big place. There were a lot of people. This was the Passover. People had come from all over the place for this massive celebration. This was like, you know, I don't even, like Ottawa on Canada Day kind of thing. Like it was, it was a big gathering. Everybody had come and yet people are buzzing. There's this sound, there's this question mark. What's going on? There was this feeling, who is this? We're in a similar situation right now where the world has been so shaken, damaged, pressed, squeezed. There's been so much pain, so much difficulty, so much hardship, and still ongoing. Obviously, with the war that's happening in Ukraine, there's this, this ongoing conflict, and people are starting to ask, because there's this undercurrent that's also happening of a move of God that's kind of showing up everywhere. There's this buzz that's beginning to happen where people are starting to question, I can't deal with my own mind anymore. I can't deal with my own issues anymore. Is there a God? I'm going to go and check out a church. I'm going to see if there's maybe something for me. And there's this buzz. And people are starting to feel and see the differences in people around them. And could this be real? What have you gotten yourself into? And I believe underneath all the stuff that's going on, even globally, the sound that's out there, the despair, the anger, the frustration, the pain, there's also a sound of, who is this? Because God is raising up his presence. There's, there's a sound of heaven that's being released on the earth. There's a calling of love that we're seeing all around us. So things are being moved. There's a buzz. There's something that's happening. And this is what's happening in Jerusalem at this time. If you are in the marketplace... You're out doing your thing, and everywhere you go, people start asking you. So I heard there's something happening at that church. Like, there's just, like, people are coming from all over the place, and they're talking about what's going on. And, the, like, what is that? What do you think that is? It's kind of like that. Jesus had come into Jerusalem. He's, he, he, hadn't, he hadn't done anything himself, but he rode in on the donkey. People are cheering. They're, they're proclaiming these prophetic scriptures over him. And the whole city is buzzing, saying, who is this? When you're asked by everywhere you go, what do you think it is? Who do you think he is? What, what is that? It demands a response, doesn't it? It demands a response. I believe we're in a similar situation right now. It demands a response. We need to be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within us. What do you think about this? What do you think God's doing right now? Do you think, what do you think God, God feels about this? How do you think God's moving? What do you think he's, he's, he says about this situation? We need to be able to give an answer. And the answer that we're going to find is in the part that we're going to come up to here. But it is always going to come back to the nature of God the heart of God, the purposes of God, we need to be in enough of a relationship with him that we can give an answer. And so it says that the whole city was moved, saying, who, the, who is this? So the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. 
the king had engaged the story. People were starting to buzz. There's starting to be a question mark. Who is God? Is how it looks in our, our present terminology. Why, why do you even go to church? Why are you interested? Do you actually believe that Jesus is real? Do you ask, like, what, what, what is religion doing for you? What, there's a buzz. There's a sound. Because the king is engaging our situation. The king is here presently. What happens when we read through the story is that Jesus comes into Jerusalem. There's this fanfare. All this stuff happens. And uh, there, people are expecting that he's going to go, you know, uh, he's going to go to the palace. He's going to go to the political sphere. He's going to do something kingly. It says that he actually went to the temple, checked it out, and then he begins to handle things there. Some of the gospels say it was the next day. Some says he went right up. So however the timeline is, it's immediately after. And this is the part that I really want us to hover on today. Because we can get lost in Palm Sunday. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I believe that Jesus is real. He rode in on a donkey. He came into Jerusalem. He was, he was ready to die for the sins of the people. You know, this is, this is real. And then we can jump to Good Friday. He paid for the sins on the cross, and we can jump to Easter Sunday, and we can see that he rose from the, from the dead, that the grave was empty. But in between, what happened was the temple. And the temple is what we're going to kind of lean into today, because this, I believe, is earth-shaking. This, this perspective actually is this space, and I think it needs the days in between for us to understand the heart of God. It's probably one of the greatest places for us to see the heart of God, the nature of God, and it's the prophetic significance surrounded, surrounding it. So Jesus comes into the city of Jerusalem, and he goes to the temple. And what's really interesting about this is that the first time that we meet Jesus, or we, we see really anything about him after his birth, is in Luke 2. And we're not going to go to it right now, but it, it is uh, when Jesus, remember it says that Jesus was in the temple uh, talking to people and his mom and dad went home without him. Weird, but then if you've got 12 year olds, you might understand. So I'm kidding for everybody who's 12 in the room, I'm kidding. Um, but it actually says in Luke 2 verse uh, 41, it says his parents went to Jerusalem every year for the feast of Passover. Every single year from Jesus' birth up until he's 33 years old, Jesus went into Jerusalem for the Passover. Every single year. This was his pattern. And I think it's so interesting that as soon as he was old enough to do anything about it, he's 12 years old, and his parents leave him. They find out a few days later that he's not with him. They go back, and it says that they find him in the temple. And uh, they're like, what are you doing here? And he says to them, why do you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? And this is really telling because this is the first time we see Jesus speak. Ah. Some of you are like, I don't think that matters. <laughs> it's the first time we see Jesus speak and we see his connection. We see the expression of the father's heart through Jesus in the temple. It matters because New Testament, do you not know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Jesus is all about revealing the Father's heart to the temple. 
This was his main mission. So as soon as he was old enough to make his own way, he is in there and he's, it says he's asking questions and he's talking and he's, he's reasoning with these grown adults in the temple. And he's like, I must be about my father's business. I, I imagine that Jesus every year couldn't wait for Passover week because he could get back to the temple. He could get back to that place and, and the father's business was there. The father had business in the temple. Old Testament, we know that the whole setup of the temple was a type and a form of what goes on in the heavenly realm. It was a, a way for people to engage with God. It wasn't about sacrifice. It wasn't about penalty. It was about relationship. And God instituted a way for people to connect with him. The whole, th the whole deal, I mean, you read through the Old Testament, you see temples built and burnt down, and there's like all this stuff that goes on in the temple. They're, it's like golden, and then the gold is ripped off, and like stuff, right, happens in the temple. But the temple is this symbolic place where people can come and connect with God. It tells us when Jesus says this in Luke 2, as a child, I must be about my father's business, that what happens in that relationship, that connection point, is the father's business. What does God care about? For everybody who has ever heard God is mad at you, Father God just can't wait to smite you for sinning, and we treat God the same as this whole scientist gonna put you on the naughty list business, it's garbage. The heart, the Father's business was to create a place for people to connect with him. The Father wants to connect with his kids. The Father, as soon as Jesus could get his hands on an assignment, that's what he did. He went to engage the place that the father wants to connect with people. This is a big deal. And so it makes sense that on the week that he's about to die and he's about to pay the ultimate price, the first thing he does when he comes into the city is head into the temple to be about the father's business. Isn't it? It's amazing that this is the course of his life, that he just can't wait to get back in there. And yet it has become such a twisted place. It's nothing like he remembers it. It says, actually, as we go into a little bit further, Matthew 21, picking up at verse 12, it says then, and remember, we just came off the road. Jesus is just riding the donkey. People are singing Hosanna, shouting, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Now let me throw a religious cow on the barbecue. I love the pure word of God and how God intends it. And if we actually take the time to read this and study it, and we find out that Jesus is actually quoting two prophetic scriptures, he's not just, I, I remember like hearing growing up, Jesus came into the temple and it was noisy and loud and people are selling stuff and they're robbing people and it's jacked up carnival prices. And, and Jesus came in and he was like, threw them out and you've made this a den of thieves because they're selling stuff in church. Therefore, we can't sell stuff in church. <laughs> Moo. <laughs> this is not what this is about. 
This, I mean, we do prefer if you're selling your kids chocolates or whatever, do it in the foyer, but this is, this is not what this is about. Jesus did not come in and just have this like, I can't stand this. We're supposed to be praying for the nations of the world, which is also what we've heard. It's not about that at all. Let me give you, Jesus came in, and, and there's actually a different instance in John where, where it says that Jesus, you know, fashioned the whip and whatever. This is, it literally just says, he went into the temple and drove out all those who bought and sold the temple, overturned the tables with the money changers and the seat who sold doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Why does this matter? Okay, Isaiah 56, one to eight, and we're gonna read it in the New Living because it's just awesome. Isaiah and Jeremiah is the second passage that Jesus is actually quoting. And Isaiah is prophesying the words of God, right? So this is what God says. This starts there. This is what the Lord says. This is God talking. And he's talking about the temple. He's talking about this place of relationship because the heart of the Father is for the place where we meet with him. It is for us to connect with him. And it says, this is what the Lord says. Be just and fair to all. Do what is right and good. For I'm coming soon to rescue you and to display my righteousness among you. Blessed are all those who, do, who are careful to do this. And blessed are those who honor my Sabbath days of rest and keep from themselves from doing wrong. Don't let foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord say, the Lord will never let me be part of this people. And don't let the eunuchs say, I'm dried up tree with no children and no future. For this is what the Lord says. I will bless those eunuchs who keep my Sabbath days holy and who choose to do what pleases me and commit their lives to me. I will give them within the walls of my house a memorial and a name far greater than sons and daughters could give. For the name I give them is an everlasting one. It will never disappear. I will also bless the foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord, who serve him and love his name, who worship him and do not desecrate the Sabbath day of rest and who hold fast to my covenant. I will bring them to my holy mountain of Jerusalem and I will fill them with joy in my house of prayer. I will accept their burnt offerings and sacrifices because my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. For the sovereign Lord who brings back the outcasts of Israel says, I will bring others too besides my people Israel. Wow. Okay, so this passage is God expressing his open-hearted welcome to whosoever will. This passage is saying, you know, for the people who think that you're never going to have a place here, that there's no spot for you, that you're too damaged, you're too broken, you have nothing, you're a foreigner. I am saying this is a house of prayer for everyone. What is prayer? Conversation. <laughs> it's not some like weirdo, sacred, it's conversation with God. And so he's saying, he's prophesying, and he's saying, even the people who think that they're far off, the people who think they have nothing left to offer, the people who feel damaged and fruitless, if they come and they want to have this relationship with me, my house, my house is going to be that place where anybody can come. 
My house is going to be that place of open-hearted welcome that if you're honestly committing to me, I am going to make sure that you are established in my house. I'm giving you a new name. I'm giving you a legacy. I'm giving you a heritage. And Israel, don't get all up on it because you are being, uh, there are others being drafted into the family and it's going to be open to everybody. See, why would Jesus say that? Because at this point, over the course of the years, and the people add-ons, they had shifted to, you can't come into the temple if you don't have the right kind of money. So the money changes. It's the same thing as when you go to a new country or whatever, and your first thing you're looking for is an exchange, and you know they're ripping you off. But you should have done it before at your bank, before you left home and whatever. So you're paying the premium price. This is what starts happening, is that instead of this being a sacred, solemn assembly year after year, it starts to become a moneymaker for Jerusalem. You know, people are going to come from all over the place and they really want in there. <laughs> Too bad they're not Jews. But, I mean, God lets them in, but we nothing wrong with making a little money off of this. We can, we can make it happen. They, they should know better. If they don't like the prices of the exchange, they should have done it before they got here. They've humanized this process of engaging God and people with legitimate hearts who just want to know him are finding these loopholes to have to work their way through. They're having to jump through hoops to connect with God because the religious people of the day have lost their first love. And so because there's this packaging, this people packaging, they can't get in in the same way that they should be. And God was like, my intention is that this is a house of prayer for everybody. Do you know what has blessed me so much in the last probably six months? We've seen so many people from so many different walks of life come to Christ. Is how God goes out of his way to find us and make a way. He chases us down. I was talking to somebody this week. I don't think she's here this morning. So hopefully this is okay to share. But she said she was out um, jogging this week. And just meditating on like, you know, God is a jealous God. And so obviously that means that we need to let go of some of the other things that have held a place in our hearts or whatever, because he won't, he won't share that. And she said she was jogging and all of a sudden the spirit of God just spoke to her. Do you know why I'm jealous? I'm jealous for you. And she said the love of God hit her so hard. She had to get on her knees on the trail and just worship. This is somebody who's in a fresh encounter with God right now. Some of us who have been in the church for 10, 20, 30 years could use a revelation of how much God loves us, that he is actually jealous for us. He's jealous over us, his love for us. He just doesn't want to share us with anybody. Any good spouse should be that way. Amen? I mean, come on. He doesn't. He doesn't want to share us this kind of love. God is depositing these sorts of things on so many of us right now. And what we need to be very alert to as the church, if you've been saved for any length of time, we need to make sure that we're not so jaded by we do this every year. That we block people from the easy access into his presence. That we get in the way, that we, we treat it as common. And so Jesus comes in and he says, you you can't be here right now. You can't. He doesn't, you know, we've been told that it's about money. God's not opposed to money. He's opposed to mammon, the contrary spirit, but money's just a tool. He doesn't say, you know, pay all the money back. He doesn't say there can't. He just says, don't do it here. 
Maybe they're going to go in and they're going to do their money stuff elsewhere, but he's concerned about protecting the integrity of the house. He's concerned about in, uh, the, the integrity of the relationship that should be available because God wants it to be available to all, which is this incredible thing. I, I remember um, really clearly as a kid having uh, you know, traveling like music ministries coming around or whatever, and we could talk to them after service to purchase CDs or whatever, but they weren't going to be selling anything, you know, in the church because the church wouldn't allow that. Do you know, so why, why does that stick in my mind? Because religion looks to put chains on our mind at opportune times. I probably picked that up as like an 11 year old or something. You know, that was, that was how I, I perceived it. That's how I understood it. The enemy will look for windows all through your life to put a package on or a rule on or a chain on something that God says is wide open. Something, so we need to like, honestly, I think going into this year when God's just saying, anybody come, uh, this is a house of prayer for all nations. This is a house of prayer for whoever will. I want to know you. I want to invite you into this place. We need to go through, and if we're feeling any kind of coldness or stiffness or routineness to it, ask the Lord, is there a religious bondage on my thinking that doesn't belong there? And let Jesus chase it out. Jesus is like, get out of, get out of here. This can't be happening in here right now. So then there's this other passage, and it says, uh, it says that, um, where am I going here? Yep, okay. I'm going to verse 14. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things he did, and the children crying out in the temple, saying, Hosanna, son of David, and they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, have you never read out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise. So there's this thievery that's going on. Jesus has said, my house is to be called a house of prayer. You have made it a den of thieves. The den of thieves thing is such an interesting thing, and it's why we relate specifically to the money. It's why we pull it back into that zone. But it says here, then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. Who was being robbed? See, part of it is we know that the people were tangibly being robbed. There was evidently some misuse of finances. There was some mishandling of the situation that was going on. But the heart of the father in the temple was to connect with people. As soon as Jesus got rid of this false exchange that was going on, these false loopholes, this spirit of religion that was there, instantly the blind and the lame start coming in. The children start coming in. They start singing and they start praising him. It goes on further. It, the children crying out in the temple saying, Hosanna to the son of David. And they said to him, do you hear what they're saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise? Who was being robbed? 
the Father. God, Jesus. The people themselves were being robbed of the opportunity to come in at a, at a reason. So there's a tangible, physical thing. But deeper than that, God has created in all of this time, this temple, this access point for people to come and have some form of relationship with him. So the obstacles are there, but bigger than that, God is being robbed of the praise. He's being robbed of the worship. He's being robbed of the opportunity to live the freedom, to extend the freedom, to extend the healing, to release what's going on. There's been this shift that happens. How do we know this? Jeremiah 7 is what is the other part of what it is that Jesus is quoting. And so when he says, my house is to be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. The first part is Isaiah. The second part is Jeremiah. And so 1 to 11 is where the whole passage is. But basically the passage is this uh, situation that Israel finds himself in, Jerusalem finds himself in, where they are, they are saying to themselves, nothing bad's ever going to happen here because we have the temple. And God's calling them on it. And he's basically saying, just because you have the temple around you doesn't mean it's going to save you. Just because you're, you're in proximity to the presence of God doesn't mean it's going to save you. And so there's this prophetic word because they had shifted from really truly being in relationship with God to being in kind of connection with him. Kind of, you know, the temple's there. We're, we're God's people. So God calls them on it in Jeremiah. Jesus calls them on it when he comes into the temple. You still with me? I know it's a little confusing, but this is, this is the flow. So we see when Jesus says, my house is meant to be a house of prayer for all nations. God wants everybody to be able to access him. And then he says, but you have made it a den of thieves. You have chosen to do what your ancestors did back in Jeremiah's time. And verse 5 says, but I will be merciful only if you stop your evil thoughts and deeds and start treating each other with justice. Well, that's a good start. So there's something happening in their society, in their church world, in their relationship with God and how they interact with others that is offending the heart of God. Only if you stop exploiting foreigners, orphans and widows, only if you stop murdering, that's a good one, and right with it, and only if you stop harming yourselves by worshiping idols. This is verse six. Only if you stop murdering and only if you stop harming yourselves by worshiping idols. Verse 11. Don't you yourselves admit that this temple which bears my name has become a den of thieves? So this is the passage that Jesus is talking about and he's saying, you know, when I look around here right now, it's, it's not just the noise of the money. It's not just the, it's not this, the exchanging that's happening. The temple is not serving its purpose. And people are not getting to engage with the Father like he intends. Jesus is still going about the Father's business. So he's uh, challenging them on this basic thing you're hurting yourselves by worshiping idols. You're treating each other with injustice. You have to stop exploiting. You have to stop looking after yourselves. You have to stop mistreating. You have to be about the right things. You have to come back to the heart situation. So let's go back to um, verse 14 of Matthew 21 again. 
And it says, then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. It's very significant in this particular passage that Jesus goes into the temple, verse 12 of the same passage, went into the temple, drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple. He overturned the tables and the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. Verse 14, then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. Why does this matter? Because there were sacrifices of all kinds that happened on those days. There, you know, generally speaking, you really wanted to be able to bring a lamb. You really wanted to bring a goat. You wanted to bring something of significance. But Deuteronomy tells us if you're really poor, you can just bring a dove. It means that the people who were doing the exchanging and the selling and they were mistreating and mis, you know, mishandling things were actually dealing with the broken and the hurting and the poor, and they were presenting God in this way. If you want to come and engage God, and you're broken, and you're hurting, and you're poor, we're going to take your money. We're, we're going to make you jump through hoops. We're going to make you do all this stuff. And Jesus comes in, and he's like, no, this, this is not right. This is not who the Father is. If we could expand what Jesus said, he, he essentially comes into the temple and he's been waiting 33 years to do this. And I would imagine at year 27, 28, 29, 30, when he's coming in, he's seeing that he's got to be burning on the inside. Like, this is wrong. This is not my father. This is not how God operates. God doesn't mistreat people. God doesn't hurt people. God doesn't damage people. I'm telling you, every single one of us either has been or knows somebody who says religion hurts, church hurts, God hurts. No, God doesn't. People do. So 2,000 years ago, Jesus bumped into the same situation as we face right now. People would pilgrim their way to Jerusalem because it's Passover. And I heard that God will allow us to come. And if we can come and we can bring a sacrifice and we can come into the temple and we can pray and we can talk to God. And I just want to live my life for him. But we're poor and we don't have much and we're broken and we're damaged and we don't have a spotless lamb to offer. We don't have anything good. But we'll come and we're going to pull our, our money together and we're going to buy a dove. Because I heard that you can sacrifice a dove and God will accept the sacrifice and so we're going to bring the money together and you get to Jerusalem with your kids and you're like we're not we're not Jewish but we we've heard about this God and we want to worship him and we want to honor him and we've got this money and we're going to buy a dove and they're like no you don't got you don't got enough should have thought of this before you made the trip sorry not my fault man you should have known Jesus comes in see yep even back then, people in the name of God hurt people. When Jesus had the opportunity to make things right, the first thing he did was kick that junk out of the house, walked in, and he said, no, this is meant to be a house of prayer for all nations. It means that no matter who you are today, 
It means that no matter who I am today, it means that whether I've got money or I don't got money, I've got a past or I don't have much of a past, I'm broken, I'm damaged, I'm, I'm doing okay, wherever we, I'm, you know, I've been divorced 87 times, you know, whatever. Whatever! Jesus is like, no, my house is to be a house of prayer for all nations, all people, whatever your situation. And the first ones that came in were not the high and mighty. They weren't the fancy people. The lame and the blind came to him. Can you imagine? Um, like, just imagine Jesus comes in and he tosses out the money changers. If you're connected to the religious system in any way, you're offended at this point, right? If you're, if you're there, you're like, well, I kind of, I mean, I, I sell a few things. I, you know, I mean, this is the way it's always been done. What's his issue? 57 years old, it's always been done. Every time we come to the Passover celebration, there's always this going on. What's his issue? They go the other direction. It doesn't say that the people flooded the temple behind him. Who knows where everybody else went? We do have a hint. We'll get to it in just a second. But the ones who followed him were the blind and the lame and the children. The broken, the damaged, and the innocent. Do you know, today it's the same offer. Whatever stuff we bumped into, however we may have even been hurt in church, maybe we've even been hurt in this church. It's probable because there's people here. But it's also possible to step into that place of forgiveness and wholeness and listen to Jesus say, okay, my house is a house of prayer for all nations. And it's no longer going to be a den of thieves that steals from the father the affection he deserves, that steals from me the love, the opportunity to love like I want to love, that steals from you the wholeness that you're entitled to because it's been paid for. This opportunity is here. But it actually says at the end of this, when the chief priest, verse 15, when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple saying, Hosanna, son of David, they were indignant. What? They totally had a problem with it. They totally had a problem with the fact that whosoever will could come. They, they totally had a problem with this not being under structure, under control, under measurement. They totally had a problem. In fact, in, in Mark's gospel, it says they feared him because the people were astonished at his teaching and they sought how they might destroy him. What? Jesus comes in and people start to get healed and people start to get set free. And the religious community of the day is indignant and they fear him, and they seek to destroy him. Why do I bring this up? I believe that God is doing something in this season that we've never seen before. There is a move of his spirit upon the earth that we've never seen before. This is a behold, I do a new thing. And we need to be very alert to some of the warning signs that we see in this story. 
we need to be very alert to that this happens every year and so it's just emotionalism. We need to be very alert to the, well, this is how we do things and so it's not a, it's not a problem if we get distracted from the main event. We need to be very alert to the fact that religion will fight this. Even religion that we may have bound by, been bound by or carry in some fashion. The fact that people can come to God right now and we are seeing literally weekly addictions broken off, healing happening, minds being healed, lives being transformed, favor happening, jobs opening up, blessing on all sorts of fronts, stuff that maybe it took you 20 years to get through and somebody seems to have gotten through it in two weeks and you're like, that can't last. Yes, it can. We need to be very alert in this season that if we are going to be where God wants us to be this time next year, we shun the packaging and we go after him. If there's going to be new wine, there has to be a new wineskin. And that doesn't mean that we don't still have church. It just means that as we gather, we gather in a freshness of heart, a passion of heart, a pursuit of him, that we don't allow the old stuff to hold us back. We don't allow the old hurts to hold us back. We don't allow the old damage to hold us back. We don't allow issues with other people. The, the scripture that, that Jesus is quoting there, when he talks about how you treat one another, we can't allow that to hold us back. We can't allow the, the stuff of what we've known in the past to determine what we'll experience in the future. Because I believe God is coming in and this is the kind of situation that we're in right now. There's a cleaning out of the temple. I believe actually this is a major part of what God sought to do during the last couple of years through the COVID season. Was brought us back to the core of who are we? Why are we here? Who do we love? Why are we doing what we're doing? A lot of churches that, that opened back up after seasons of being shut down uh, didn't start up any of their familiar programs again. I was talking to a pastor this week who literally, he said during it, he realized because they had been, their church had been so busy for God and doing, we're doing everything for God. And he said when everything got shut down and they, he was going through this like internal kind of depression sort of thing. And he was like, God, I've been doing all this for you. And God was like, have you? So when they opened back up, they're going in a completely different direction. God came in like Jesus came in and said, no, my house is supposed to be this, but you made it this. New Testament Paul says, do you not know you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? So when Jesus comes in and we allow him this conversation and he comes in and we let him say, it's supposed to be this, but you've made it this. Or there's some residue of the outside. See, the marketplace had drifted into the temple. Here. Whereas what's supposed to happen is the temple's supposed to drift into the marketplace. It had been reversed. And what, what was happening out there that was contrary to the heart of God had begun to confuse what was happening in the temple. What's happening in the temple should begin to confuse and confound some of the corrupt stuff that's happening out there. I believe this is a season that God's calling us into, right? So if we're going to get to be part of that, we need to allow him to challenge us in this way. It's an interesting question. 
when Jesus comes in, if he's riding in and we can say we're praising him because everybody praised him on the streets. There was a great crowd. Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. There wasn't a great crowd in the temple. There was the lame and the blind and the children. So it's great if we can recognize the Messiah. It's great if we can recognize who Jesus is. It's greater still if we'll allow him that place in here where we can converse, where we sing his praises, where we honor him, where we allow him to clean out what shouldn't be there, when we allow him to purify and we begin to see the miracles because the blind and the lame were healed. So let's stand together this morning. I know it's a lot to think about, but that's the point today. You got a week. You got five days. There is nothing about the Easter season or the resurrection week that wasn't utterly deliberate on Jesus's part. Every word he spoke, every place he went, every deed he did was this setup for them to understand who he really was. For them to be prepared for the fact that he was going to die, for them to be prepared for the fact that he was going to rise again, for them to be prepared to become the church. Everything he said and did in this week, you know, when he sits with the disciples and they celebrate the Passover and he says, I've so longed to eat this meal with you. You gotta know that there were times in the weeks before, the months before, maybe the years before that he's daydreaming about it a little bit. Oh man, that last meal, I hope they get it. I hope they understand. I, I hope, I hope they, they really can grasp that this is gonna shift from being in front of them to being in them. That everything up until, everything up until what they know now, it's changing. And they're meant to carry this. You know when Jesus was riding in on that donkey, he, he knew, as soon as I get in there, I am headed into that temple. Because since I was 12 years old, I know it's been wrong. I know that there have been people who maybe mean well, but they're doing wrong. I know that people are being excluded or they feel like they're not, they're not welcome, they're not worthy. You know, for every time I hear people say, um, I'd like to come to church, but like, what would I even wear? The fact that that question would even come up tells me something very wrong has been put out there that people would even ask that, right? The, the idea like, well, I don't know. I've never been to church. Would I be sure I'd be welcome? God help us. This is the season. I believe we're very close to the next coming of Christ. Why wouldn't it bear similarities to the first coming? Why wouldn't Jesus clean out his temple? Why wouldn't he clean out the church? 
Why wouldn't he deal with our hearts? Why wouldn't he challenge us on our religious behaviors? Why wouldn't he challenge us on our man-made traditions? Why wouldn't he challenge us on the stuff that we just get so, we do it every year, it's just no big thing. Why wouldn't he challenge us on that? Because he wants us to be ready. And he wants us to know him here and now. So we're going to close today. I'm going to pray over us. And we're going to close again with this Hosanna song. We sang it earlier and it's a fun song. And if you've been, I mean, it was, it was first released 2006. So it's not even brand new. We just don't sing it very often. <laughs> but let me, let me read the words to you again. Because the first time I, I remember ever hearing this song, I cried through the whole thing. Partially because it was the first time we'd had a new Palm Sunday song in quite some time. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> but there was something on it that resonated with my heart. And when I uh, was, was studying it this week again and going through it again, I'm like, it feels more true now than it did the first time I heard it. So these are the words. I see the King of glory coming on the clouds with fire. The whole earth shakes. The whole earth shakes. Jesus entered Jerusalem and the whole city shook. We just read that. I see his love and mercy washing over all our sin. The people sing, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. God, save us. I see a generation rising up to take their place with selfless faith. What do you say on Palm Sunday? How do you preach a, a Palm Sunday message that's not the same old, same old? Well, this year, I felt like God say, remind us <laughs> that we are the same old, same old. We risk the same traps that they risked thousands of years ago. But I see a generation rising up to take their place with selfless faith. I see a near revival and we're in it already. Stirring as we pray and seek, we're on our knees. Here's the bridge and here's where I feel we need to engage this Easter week. Take the time this week to spend with him and pray this, heal my heart and make it clean. Open up my eyes to the things unseen. Show me how to love like you have loved me. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Everything I am for your kingdom's cause as I walk from earth into eternity. Doesn't that just, doesn't that just get you? The fact that when Jesus had the opportunity in the flesh on the earth, he went straight into the temple and he cleaned out the blockages and he chastised those that were causing there to be these things for people to have to get through to get to God. And the lame and the blind came and he healed them all. 
and the children began singing and celebrating and there was joy and the father connected as he desired to connect book of acts they picked this up and they went further they did this what we're about to sing as a prayer is the book of acts in our time so lord today as we close with this song we sing it as a prayer we sing it as a declaration god and we believe that you are doing something in our time that we've never experienced before there is a new wine and we desire to be the new wineskins, Lord, that you can use. We recognize as temples of the Holy Spirit, God, that there may be things that over time we've just acclimated to. There may be places where the marketplace has bled into our lives and it's affected us instead of us affecting the marketplace. There may be places, God, where we've chosen to see things, see people and situations through the eyes of flesh instead of the eyes of God. We thank you, Jesus, that you came to seek and save those who were lost. Lord, we want those kind of eyes. We want to see what you see. We want to feel what you feel. We want to have a heart that matches your heart. We want to be able to declare like Jesus, don't you know I must be about my Father's business? So God, we're asking this year, as we prepare ourselves for Good Friday and Easter Sunday, we ask you to clean out in us anything that needs to be cleaned out. We ask you to prepare us for what it is you have ahead for each one of us, God. And Lord, any places where we might be broken or blind or, or damaged in some way, I thank you that your word says you healed them all. I pray, God, over this house, both in person and online, a radical encounter with what was prophetically enacted then through Jesus. May it be enacted in our hearts today. And we invite you, Jesus, come and have your way. Do what only you can do. Forgive us, Lord, for putting up things that shouldn't be there, for creating obstacles that shouldn't be there, for being calloused or traditional in areas that, that desire you desire our passion and our heart. I thank you, Lord, for shaking us loose and open. And even today, God, we commit ourselves to the pursuit of your heart. And we thank you for meeting us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this message from Victory Church Grand Prairie. You can stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by using at VictoryChurchGP. If you have any questions, would like to access our online resources, or would like to sow into this ministry, you can visit us at www.VictoryGP.com. You can also text to give, just text 587-207-4387 and follow the prompting. Thanks again for joining us at Victory GP. Reach, teach, mobilize.